Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. So what's up with HomeKit? What happened to Cedia? Some Smart Lock news, plus a conversation with Martin Plain of Control 4, all in this week's episode of The Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to The Smart Home Show, a long overdue one. It's been a few weeks since I published one. On today's show, I have a two-parter. Today's first guest is Richard Gunther, the podcast host for the Home On Podcast, brought to you by the Digital Media Zone, as we discuss some of the most recent things happening in the smart home, particularly HomeKit, as well as what Richard saw at the CDA conference. In the second half of the show, I have the CEO of Control 4, Martin Plain, talking about what they debuted at the CDA conference. Martin and I talked a week or so before CDA, and just because I've been so busy, uh, and apologies to Martin, I have not been able to publish that until now, but I hope you still enjoy it, hearing what Control 4 is up to. Part of the reason I've been so busy is this week is the Smart Kitchen Summit. I've been preparing for that. For those of you who are interested in watching that live or watching the video once it's done, you can do that. That's one of the exciting things about this is we actually have a live stream. So if you want to watch that, just go to smartkitchensummit.com backslash video. You'll be able to watch it on Thursday or after the summit. We will have a video of the, the different sessions. So you can go there as well. We'll be able to post that later on. So please do that. And if you don't mind me asking, if you're interested in watching it, why don't you share with your friends? There's a tweet button. You could tweet it out. Share the link. We're hoping to get a lot of people watching on Thursday. This episode of the Smart Home Show is brought to you by Jardin Consumer Solutions, the maker of the connected crockpot with Wemo, as well as the connected Mr. Coffee. If you're looking to get into the smart kitchen, looking to find a device to control with your smart home, that's a good starting point. Check them out. Go to JardinCS.com, J-A-R-D-E-N-C-S.com. All right, folks, thank you for listening. We're hoping to get back to a regular podcasting schedule as things slow down post-summit. And if you're interested, we'll also be able to provide you some of the summit panels and some of the, the keynotes and some of the fireside chats. If you're interested, we'll have information on that later. You can also go to the smartkitchensummit.com, look under the podcast there, and you'll be able to find some of those going forward in the next couple of weeks. All right, folks, that's it. Let's get to the first segment of this podcast with Richard Gunther of Home On. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm really happy to have Richard Gunther, who is a familiar voice in these parts because he's been on the show a few times. And I think we've done this before, Richard. Uh, I was on your show just now, and, and we're doing a double dip. I, I said, hey, Richard, if I'm going to be on your show, I want to talk to you and do a show for mine. So welcome, Richard Gunther of the Home On Podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here again. You know, it's funny. We're thinking, well, while we're recording... <laughs> <laughs> Might as well do both. Yeah, but but there's a stark contrast between styles here that I just want to kind of let everyone peek behind the curtain a little bit. So I don't know if you guys know this about Richard, but he does these amazingly meticulous, great notes on what we'll be talking about on the podcast. And like it's such uh, such a joy to have those as I work through a podcast because it's like, oh, man, this is so easy. And Richard's like, okay, let's do yours. Like He goes, what, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, eh. Well, we'll talk about HomeKit and uh, Cedia. Like that, that's like <laughs> the extent of my preparation in contrast to Richard, who's like a pro. I'm just like slapdashing this thing together. So <laughs> Quite all right. It all works out in the end. But we're we're both, uh, I think, uh, enjoy talking about the stuff enough to where it's not terrible for people to listen to, hopefully. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, because you know, you've been keeping up on it a little bit, and we talked about it a little bit on the sh your show because I haven't done a catch-up for a while, is what's going on with HomeKit. Um, there are some new devices s kind of sneakily coming into the market, not to any big fanfare, which seems to kind of be the default move for HomeKit. Everything's just kind of slowly coming on the market. Apple's not doing anything big. People are just – so let's talk about that. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, there are a bunch of new devices that are going to be hitting the market very soon, if not already. I know that we talked about, and you've talked about on your show, the iDevices switch that iDevices was showing at CES. That's a wall module that you can plug something into and turn it on and off. 
They also surprisingly announced that they have a thermostat that they say is shipping now, although it doesn't show up in any other retailers. So I don't imagine that they have a whole lot of quantity of that at the moment. Both of those are home compatible, and that's nice to see both of those devices in there. We also have another smart outlet coming out from ConnectSense, and I love this one, Mike, because this touches all the things that I want outlet all the things that I want an outlet to do. It addresses the ability to plug things in and control them for two separate outlets, so it covers the whole outlet, and you can control both things. It lets you plug things in by USB, and it monitors the energy usage from all of it. And I just think that's a great solution. That is pretty awesome. Like, you just I love these ideas. They do it well. It has to be done well, though, where you solve so many needs at once. But getting back to the, the iDevices thermostat, it feels like I remember, I mean, I've followed home networking for like 15 years now. This, it's been a long time for me kind of writing about the connected home. I wrote a book about it like in 2000. Um, and one, and like the the thermostat market or the smart home market in certain parts is feeling like the early like home networking market where everyone's coming out with like their own home router or gateway, <laughs> and, you know, and like, and then eventually you saw it commoditize. Netgear and Linksys survived, and like everyone else died, or and a lot of the kind of the the market went to 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 China or Asia. You know, I mean, because they're so good at excelling around low cost products. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if like we're going to see that with thermostats. The, the the thing about thermostats, it's a different market, right? Because like we all, at least me, I'll get a new home router every couple of years because I faster Wi Fi comes along. Um, you know, maybe there's a better product, um, and you know they're so cheap you can just swap one off with the other. Because my, my analogy breaks down a little bit because thermostats aren't quite like that. Um, it is not necessarily easy to swap out a thermostat because it's connected to power wiring. You have to kind of make sure it's, it's really working. But at least from a commoditization standpoint, I'm just wondering if we're going to see a similar track where just like a lot of competition drives down the prices. I think it's kind of funny that you say that because if you think about it, even though it's not easy to reinstall, I would agree that a thermostat is something of a commodity product already. Now, if you look at the connected thermostat, which – turned all of that upside down and put it on its head and charged $250 for it. And we all said, what? And then bought one. <laughs> the, <laughs> the the suggestion is that that might happen again, that the connected thermostat is just going to possibly become a commodity if so many different people are making them. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. I think the thing that we need to watch is, are these thermostats really solving problems. Is there a unique ability that any one of these particular things offers? Nest obviously has that learning capability, plus it's beautiful. The Ecobee has the third, uh, second and third room sensors or as many rooms as you want sensors that allow you to kind of artificially zone things. What is it that other manufacturers are going to bring to a thermostat to make it valuable? Otherwise, it is just kind of another thermostat. I agree. I mean, I think that, yeah, you know, obviously the first arriver, the company that creates the market oftentimes uh, is one that does it in a really good way. They become the premium product. Then there's like an innovator that comes around, maybe does something a little bit different, has a unique feature. Then a lot of times there's the Me Too products. And like, it's the Me Too products, unless they're like truly competing on price, don't survive. And I feel like you know, this iDevices, I'm not really, it's not, I'm not feeling it. I feel like this is a Me Too product. I don't see anything just from kind of the first glance that differentiates it and it says, wow. So I just have to wonder if like we're going to see this wave of kind of new products and then ultimately these things go away because, you know, kind of the the majority of the, the market share goes to like a couple players. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. And it's an unfortunate position to put yourself in because HomeKit has already been so tenuous. I mean, you mentioned that the rollout is particularly quiet and slow. I more and more believe that that's so intentional because the first wave was so messy. They had so many problems, lots of confusion in the market, the whole issue with having to rebuy things that you might already have had and companies having to deal with that. There's just so much against HomeKit right now they need to get it right. And so 
I hope we don't end up with a bunch of products that just even on their own merit don't survive. I agree with you. We've, I think we talked a little bit before about – I think we had a, had a home kit special for the Smartum show. And I think one of the things we thought of – we were it was dawning on us at the time. And I think we both kind of know it now that Apple's being very slow and deliberate about this rollout. Um, this is more complicated than they probably thought. And so let's kind of move this out slowly. The, the kind of the – the the victims in this, besides maybe the consumers, I think, are these startups who have a lot of their working capital invested in, in inventory, and they want to get product out there to kind of get revenue because the great right. promised land of the home kit world promised, I think, like a new market, and the spigot would turn on, and you know everyone would like be enjoying the rising tide. Well, that hasn't happened right away. So I think, you know, I, I talked about okay, there's the first arriver and then there's a fast follower that maybe has a new feature like you could be, but there's also the, the established company, like the incumbents that I think can do okay. And I think, you know, they're established where, but the, what they have are channels to market. Um, they, they know the builder channel, for example. So I think when I look at a market like Thermoset, I kind of see that type of market shaking out to maybe three or four guys really owning the majority of the market share. One of them will probably be the incumbent. Um, as we move to this transition to connected thermostats, but I definitely see this market starting to mature and start to see some price shakeouts or some shakeouts over time. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. Now let's talk about locks. There are two new locks that are going to be part of the HomeKit ecosystem. This is something that is new to iOS nine. So if you're an iOS nine user, then you have the ability to control more wireless devices in your home like locks and both Schlage and August are releasing HomeKit versions of their locks. Now, the August lock is going to be available, I think, within the next month or two. And purportedly, the lock from Schlage is available now. So we have some movement in that space, too. And then finally, and we can get back and talk with, about that if you want to, but finally, before I forget it, we're also finally seeing the GE bulbs that we had heard about. GE announced some new bulbs, a white color tunable, meaning that you can change the color of white and the color temperature, and then a standard 2700 Kelvin warm white connected bulb, and those are all going to be HomeKit compatible. That's expected by January. So this really kind of is the bulk of this next wave of HomeKit stuff. Yeah, we'll leave the lot or the light bulb uh, discussion for your podcast. You went deep on that. I think I suggest everyone listen <laughs> into Richard's podcast. I hopefully we'll publish this next week or so. I'm always talking about light bulbs. Yes, yes. You, and you had a nice kind of deep dive on that. Uh, on the lock side, I like. I really like the looks of this new Schlage Sense Lock. They announced it at CES. It's been a long time coming, so I'm glad to see it finally ship. And it's good to see Schlage get into the Bluetooth lock business. Um, it, if you look at the incumbents the big threes I call them it's it's been only um really quick set on the backs of mm -hmm. uh the unikey technology in the bluetooth space uh it's so it's good to see another one of the big three enter that space we're also seeing the other of the big three yale they'll be entering the, the bluetooth lock side as well um because when you look at the, the the lock market it's largely been three companies it's been yale rossaboy schlage uh, which I, th I think is uh, now owned by another kind of a conglomerate. And then you have Quickset. And so, mm, okay. Uh, but you, and then you have like the startup innovators, like uh, we talked a little bit like August and, and some of the other quick kind of Kickstarter centric ones. But so it's good to see the big guys getting into the Bluetooth lock business because they've largely been, uh, they started in the Z-Wave and Zigbee lock market, which I still think is going to be an interesting market to watch. But now that they're, all these guys are starting to go into the Bluetooth, Bluetooth lock market as well. I think that's good. I know this isn't in our virtual notes, but it's probably also a good time to mention that Yale announced that they're going to have a Nest compatible lock. And uh, that's one of the things that uh, I may talk about if we talk a little bit about Cedia coming up. Let's do it. That's a great transition. Well, so I want to talk about Cedia. You went... I didn't. I'm very jealous. I'm not jealous <laughs> of going to, to, to Texas necessarily, although it's a good time to go to Texas. I think it's probably pretty comfortable. Um, but I want to hear what you saw and some of the themes that emerged from 
it, and maybe some of the most interesting products. Let's start first with like the like the products that you know maybe top couple of products you you saw there that were really if they blew you away. Uh, what were those? Yeah, so it's actually hard to identify a couple of products that blew me away. There, there were a few that I liked. Only one of them blew me away, and the one that blew me away was a new AV remote control from Savant. Okay. Savant is a company that typically targets the custom installer space, and they are going to be offering a touchscreen combination hard button remote that will be available direct to consumers on online outlets and through Magnolia outlets, the Magnolia in-store retailer within some Best Buys. And that's going to run about $500. This is a real departure for them, Mike. It's not something that they've really dabbled in. And it kind of harkens to a trend we're seeing where with the DIY market getting hotter, companies that have traditionally only serviced the custom space are starting to consider offering products directly to consumers. It's risky because they potentially could alienate their base market, but they also have some fantastic products. And I loved this one. I love the way it's designed. I love the way it feels. They had working models on the floor that you had a chance to play with. It has probably one of the best, albeit perhaps not exactly sanctioned integrations with Sonos that I've ever seen. <laughs> and so I, I think they have a great opportunity to get something that people are really going to like. The question is, are people are going to pay for it? Because, because they are typically targeting a higher end market. This is yeah. a slightly higher end product. So it's going to cost $500 if you want to get in on it. Yeah. I mean, I think Savant like has always been like, if there's an Apple of the CD market, it's always been Savant. Like it's just, they make beautiful products. Yep. The software is great. And this, I think I had first heard about this product when Julia had wrote it. I think she may have been the first one to write about it pre CDA. And so I, I, I think I wrote a piece about it because it, it came out around the same time that, uh, it came out about the same time that the Harmony Z wave, uh, adapter came out. They basically, you had the Harmony smart home remote they announced about a year ago, but they had, they had never ship uh, the adapter connecting to your legacy smart home devices. So this came out the same time as the same time as that. Right. What I wrote about at the time is it is the same thing. Your, your concern is it's, it's at a kind of funny price point. It's, it's pretty high for DIY. So you have to wonder, but if they're tapping into the home theater marketplace and people who are spending a lot of money on home theater, if this is like a really cool remote, that 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 crowd seems interested in. I think that could drive the volume for that market because I think the home theater enthusiast market is a decent one, and it's it's they're used to spending more money than like low cost DIY smart home technology. So exactly, exactly. I think that will be their core for this product. Now the thing that's interesting here is that because Savant very specifically creates lots of technology for the smart home and they don't want to alienate their custom installers that they work with, they don't really have any incentive to add all of the home automation integrations into this remote that Harmony has. Harmony's done a fantastic job, almost kind of stealthily, adding all of these capabilities to the Harmony AV remote that let you control your home, even automate and manage timers and triggers and stuff like that. That sort of thing is only going to work on a very few select Savant-labeled devices with this remote because they don't want you using other people's home automation stuff. If you're going to be interested in actually going forward with home automation, they're going to want to move you up to a pro system. Yeah, they feel like – I feel like the the Harmony is going to be like – the thing that connects to as many devices as possible and is targeting the person who wants to tap in and probably has like a home theater and smart home comprised of like five to 10 different brands. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Savant 
customer, its core customer is like they see this as maybe a gateway drug to moving up into being a full Savant household. Like this is what's going to pull people in as a funnel to you becoming a Savant customer. And I think maybe that's what they're going for here. And the thing that works for them on that is that they have an affordable entry point to do that, to expand this, to become a, more of a multi-room system without spending the tens of thousands of dollars that you might if you were to use uh, some other, like a, a Crestron, Crestron yeah. for example, you know? Exactly. Speaking of Crestron, uh, did you have a chance to stop by their booth and see what they're up to? I did, and their message is quite different from what you're hearing from the other vendors. They're talking about how they are the luxury brand. That is their market. That's who they're serving. Everything that you heard about this ping system that they introduced last year, you totally misunderstood that. That is not an effort to go down market. It's luxury, luxury, luxury. That is a tool set. They were definitely backpedaling. I, I think it was clear to most of the people who spoke with the folks at the Crestron booth that they didn't like what they were hearing from consumers and from their base customers about ping. And so they've kind of repositioned it a little bit. And it's very smart because what they do have is an easy startup toolkit for creating a fairly complex system using all of their different devices and systems that they integrate with. But it is not for the consumer. It is still very clearly targeting the custom integrator. Yeah, I guess Mercedes customers don't like when you start talking about their low-end hatchback that they're going to start shipping, <laughs> right? <laughs> it kind of tarnishes the brand a little bit. I think maybe Crest Crestron realized this. So that's interesting that they were backpedaling. Because last year, I felt like, and maybe it seems like you did too, that they were saying, hey, we may have a road to kind of a like kind of a lower cost and DIY. I don't know if quite DIY, but just at least kind of more pro, uh, affordable a way to get into the Crestron world, but they're backpedaling. They're saying we are the luxury brand. That's interesting. Yeah. And I don't think that they would call it backpedaling. I'm sure that they would never admit that, but it's good that they're clearly stating their intent here. And I think it's also fair to assume that because smart home was also hot last year and we were starting to see vendors wonder and, and experiment with, the other markets, if they, you know, I think the press and a lot of the people that saw Ping just perhaps jumped to the wrong conclusion. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think, you know, it may have been part because I don't think they were being completely clear about it, but it seemed fairly new at the time. And, 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 and to be fair to them, like we can, as a, uh, as a watcher class, as people who write about the stuff, jump to conclusions like, Hey, this <laughs> we're, we're going to connect dots that shouldn't be connected. And that happens from time to time. Absolutely. Anything else, any other kind of companies or products that you really thought were interesting um, that just kind of stood out for me that you think is worth mentioning? Yeah. So I will talk about a couple and I have a bunch of interviews in one of my recent episodes where we talked with different companies there. We spoke with folks in the Z-Wave Alliance, we spoke with Fabaro. You know, the Fabaro folks are always coming out with some really clever and beautiful products. I wish they got them to market faster because I still want that amazing tiny little smoke detector that they were promoting a year ago. But we haven't seen that yet. But uh, are certainly... They still, are they still being run out of Poland? I honestly don't know where their main offices are. I know that the company is based in Poland, but they have a U.S. presence. I just don't know how big it is. Got it. Now, so what did you see from them? From them this year, they were talking about something that they've teased for a while now, which is a gesture controller. And previously, they had this kind of built into their kiosk that they could show that you could take this pad that they were working on and put it behind drywall or something and actually have something of an invisible control surface. They've actually enhanced this so that it could be put under say granite or Corian or something like that on a countertop. And you could have 
a way of controlling your lights, turning your lights on right from the countertop next to the sink or something without any exposed electrical wiring, which is, or any exposed switch for that matter, which is pretty cool. They also show how they've integrated that into a picture frame and some other elements there. There are other companies in the Z-Wave Alliance that were showing some things. And I have, I, you know, I, I think it's nice to see that some of the old standards and, and old standbys in terms of companies that have been servicing this space for a long time are still innovating themselves and not just kind of, I don't know, rolling over or giving up as we see all these other big guys come in and try and take over the space. Well, you were talking about Yale earlier, and I teased this. Yale was one of a couple companies that are works with Nest Partners now, and they were showing off their new lock that will be the first device to actually use the new Weave protocol that is not going to require them to use the cloud to communicate between devices. They'll be able to communicate directly to the Nest devices from their lock and that's going to be pretty exciting to see because it, it takes away that reliance on the cloud that a lot of people are concerned about. Yeah, and I think one of the concerns I had with – and this is to kind of uh, diverting a little bit from Cedia. If we talk about Weave, I have a real problem with them coming out with like two Weaves that weren't really <laughs> – one Nest Weave and then one Google Weave. And, oh, they aren't quite the same. Yeah, but really, it's such a mess. But really they kind of are. I think – uh, one of the things that Martin, uh, and you'll hear in the second half of this show, he I asked him what he thought of it because at the time I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, it's interviews a couple weeks old now. He said that he felt like they got so much pushback from having to rely on the cloud around Weave that they needed to do something, and that's what Nest Weave was. And when you, so when you talk about Yale's use of Weave and it and it being kind of one of the, the first implementation that doesn't need to connect to the cloud, that's kind of what I think the pushback was having to rely on the cloud for a smart home. That that's a problem if you're relying on it and you can't connect to your smart home if you're entirely entirely reliant on the cloud. So I think that's what they did there. And there are certain devices and locks would certainly fall into that category where you just cannot be required to have an internet connection to make sure your lock works. That's ridiculous. And yeah, so I think that that's like what happened. I think over time, like we've seen in the TV space and all their efforts around video. They'll eventually have to kind of clean up the, their their the mess a little bit and make their messaging a little more straightforward. But I, what we have now is a little bit of a disjointed mess. But I think Nest Weave is that solution to extract their smart home engine from the cloud and say we could connect locally. So yep. I, I didn't mean to go too much on a diversion on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. I kind of want to wrap up with something that I didn't like. And this is not a specific product, but... I did see a number of vendors showing what I would consider to be standalone, not necessarily proprietary, but yet another hub or system that is going to control your lighting and other things in your home. And I kind of feel like we're getting to the point where if you're a vendor and you have a product, then I think you need to figure out how your product is differentiated. And you talked about commoditization. I'm starting to feel like Z-Wave and Zigbee hubs and ecosystems are becoming a commodity because people are just, companies are coming out with new and more versions of these that in many ways are not unique. And I, I kind of feel like that's just a waste of money. I don't understand why they'd be even going down that path. Not only are they potentially commodities, they're commodities. They're commoditizing without high volume. I mean, oftentimes if you look at commodity markets, the worst case, you know, the most extreme example is like an iPhone case. You know, a company manufacturer <laughs> may may have like hundreds of thousands, maybe a million out there, and they're making them for a dollar, but they're doing at least a volume to where they have a multi-million dollar business. This is like a business if you have like your your own smart home hub. Um, there's a good chance you're doing like not even in the tens of thousands because people don't understand it. They never heard of you. Why would I buy you and not go buy a Nest or a Wink or or a Lowe's Iris or something? So I think there's an uh, smart home hubs are additionally complicated because it's something that needs to connect to lots of other things. And if everyone isn't playing with you, then you're an island onto yourself and you're probably going to die very quickly. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. 
Now, one exception to that is a company that I've been following for uh, about a year and a half now. And this is a company called Weeby. And Weeby is really interesting. They are also coming out with a hub and with devices that will work with a hub. They're out of France, right? I think they're out of, I'm going to get this wrong, and I apologize. I think they're out of Argentina, actually. You're thinking of Biwi. <laughs> I can't believe it. You're right. There's yes. a Biwi, which is out of France, which makes a lot of cool, actually, connected products, including yes. lighting. But you're talking about Weeby. I am a- talking about Weeby. <laughs> and this is a great little company that has products on the market now. What is interesting about them is that their hub is an Android TV box. So you're likely going to have a streaming device of some sort anyway. And you and I have talked about this. You know, why do we still have hubs? Why isn't it built into something? Well, they built it into an Android TV box and they have an interface to be able to also control things either simultaneously while you're doing other stuff or as an app itself. And it's a pretty clever system that they've put together because, hey, by the way, here's your streaming device. You can use it for Netflix or whatever. You can use it to look at your security cameras. You can use it to check on the status of something in your home. It's an interesting solution. And I haven't seen other people really thinking, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm sorry. I had to do, I have to do it inside the box like that. I think it's smart. It shows some, I think... Uh, some savvy in that I do think like the TV as a kind of a, a centerpiece for like connectivity is smart. I mean, you have lots of kind of electricity there and kind of outlets and usually wiring. Um, I think there's a couple other companies that see like the, the, the TV is maybe like a central hub for a smart home, but I haven't seen anyone go down the Android route um, in that respect. So I think that's a smart, uh, smart idea. So it's Weeby. It's Weeby. Not BeeWee. <laughs> <laughs> Not BeeWee. Different. <laughs> Very cool. Hey, well, Richard, this has been a great catch-up. I, I, I'm glad we could tap into your knowledge. You, you flew out to Cedia, and we're, we didn't have to do that because we just had you come back, and we just talked to you. And, uh, <laughs> and, we'll be, and people could catch up on, on some of the interviews you did. Are you going to be publishing those over time? Yeah. In fact, those should be out by the time you're hearing this. Very cool. Although it depends how fast I push this out. That's so, true. <laughs> if, if it's out beforehand, make sure to go. Where can people find you and where will they find the stuff? So Home On is available where you can find other fine podcasts like iTunes. It's on technology.fm. We're soon going to be in the Google Play Store, which is very exciting. I'm glad to see Google finally getting into the podcast space. And if you want to see more about what we're doing at the Digital Media Zone, we write and podcast about what's going on in your home or in your digital life. And that is at thedigitalmediazone.com. Awesome. And for those folks who don't know this, Richard will be at my Smart Kitchen Summit uh, in just less than a week. So I can't wait to see you. I think it's going to be a fun time. And those episodes, those those audio episodes will be – I told Richard on his podcast, hopefully we can distribute some of those that he does through podcast form, or at least in some format. So I'm excited to have you moderate some panels. So we'll see you in about four days. I'm looking forward to it. As always, it's good to catch up with Richard. I'm really happy he's coming out to Seattle, be a moderator for a couple panels, and I hope you guys can eventually enjoy that as we put some of that content online. And as I said earlier, you can watch it live. If you want to see Richard, if you want to see me, Watch us live at smartkitchensummit.com backslash video all day Thursday. We'll also have these video archives, hopefully, not just hopefully, we'll have them. It just will take a few days, maybe maybe a week or so. Get those online so you can catch those there as well. So check that out. And now it's time for me to talk to Martin Plain with Control 4. I'm really happy to have Martin Plain, the CEO of Control 4, back on the show. How you doing, Martin? Great. How about yourself? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great, and we're getting back together because you guys are having some news. We're recording this in advance of the news because you guys are uh, going live with it next week uh, in conjunction with the Cedia conference, and you have a bunch of different news, uh, mostly around software. Um, You guys had some big hardware news around uh, 
new touchscreens, Android Android driven touchscreens earlier in the year, and you're building on that with some software uh, news around that as well as some other news. So, if you could, let's outline the news quickly, and then we'll we'll dive into it uh, in some questions. Yeah, this this media we're bringing uh, a new version of our operating system uh, to end customers and our dealers. We'll be announcing it and making it immediately available. Uh, um, the big things that are included is a, a complete uh, deep dive into home security and home sensors uh, to make the connected home safer and more uh, reliable and enjoyable by homeowners. Uh, it includes a, a very rich user interface, both on mobile phones, tablets, as well as our own um, built-in in walls and tabletops and on-screen television interface. Uh, it's all graphical, giving you... Uh, immediate feedback on uh, whether the home is armed or disarmed, ready to be armed, whether there's an alert, one touch to emergency services like fire or the police, and then a complete uh, highly visible and readable uh, event history so that a homeowner can very easily see what just had transpired in the morning or in the middle of the night if an alarm goes off. Um, Our Initiative also includes deep integration with the leading security panels and sensor systems from companies uh, like Honeywell and uh, HAI Leviton, uh, Interlogix, as well as NAPCO. Um, And those will be uh, available right away for interoperability. Uh, Our research has shown that you know, homeowners really want to use their security systems. They're a little bit intimidated by them sometimes, and having a very user-friendly and rich environment uh, can help them. Um, many of our customers, about 80%, have security systems already, um, and to date, about 20% have integrated in them into their control for systems. So we see this as a huge benefit to our existing install base, which is almost 200,000 homes. And, Go ahead. So that's one, that's one big piece. And then there's some other news around adding native streaming services from Tidal and Pandora. Um, those will be native in the operating system and, and brought to new and existing customers. And then as well, um, some customization capabilities for our new touch screens in the areas of screensavers, family photo library access, and customization for uh, business use. So a lot of different, lot of different pieces of news. We'll touch briefly on the streaming services. I do think that's interesting. I've been streaming uh, Pandora around my house for for probably better part of a decade at this point. Uh, I think that's definitely in line with I think what most people are doing in terms of media consumption. So I think Pandora is a big get for you guys. Title probably lines up well with uh, I think what I would see is probably a higher income demographic, obviously. And, and I think that is uh, probably lining up pretty well with like we, we see your customer base. So um, this is something that is probably your customers have been asking for, for a time, for some time I would imagine. Yeah. And the streaming services have been a big part of our business. We've had Rhapsody and Napster and yep. tune in for years. Uh, we've been pursuing a license agreement and partnership with Pandora and we're excited that we now finally have it. That's great. And so let's talk a little bit about the the security aspects because I think it is interesting. You have some numbers around 20% of your uh, of your folks have integrated already with the Control 4 system that have security. 80, I think you said 80% of your customers have security. Um, as we know, a lot of the, the touchscreen or a lot of the interfaces for security typically aren't nearly as um, – obviously sexy in terms of like a user interface or just like as user friendly oftentimes as a more advanced system like a control four. So um, you guys doing that integration, I think a lot of control four users would appreciate and you guys are going deeper and deeper into these relationships, doing integrations to make sure that your touchscreen works well with these, these different providers. Uh, Yes, that's true. I think, you know, there are two worlds. One is to make security systems more approachable and more understandable by most of the members of a family, just sort of basically reducing the intimidation factor. Um, with our new interface and new capabilities that we're presenting to homeowners, we think we're going to be doing that uh, pretty graciously and, and elegantly. Um, the other big piece is being able to link to the context of the security and sensor system within these homes 
and bring that into the fully connected and automated home so that when you're going to work and you arm your house away, that that signal of armed away goes into the control force system and the control force system checks the rest of the house the way the homeowner wants it, locked down. Are all the televisions turned off? Are the front door and back door locked? Are gates left open or closed if they're motorized? What about certain shades? So the home can, can actually use the context from the security system to help automate the rest of the home. And then if, if an event were to happen, uh, a perimeter were breached, there are many attributes of the home that can be used to help inoculate the home from further penetration by someone who's not wanted. You know, if somebody trips a motion sensor, uh, should media come on in a home? Should lights come on? Should shades go up? Should the home look as if it's occupied? And another interesting technology that we brought um, to homeowners that we're releasing right now is the ability to have a homeowner record household behavior through their control floor system so that when they leave for a vacation or a long weekend, they can actually have the home play back that those behaviors as if the home were occupied. And we call that uh, capability mockupancy, mock occupancy. I think that's an interesting approach. I like the word, <laughs> the, uh, the term mockupancy. That's great. I want to ask you about, you know, you guys doing deeper integrations with security. I mean, certainly if you look at uh, – managed home service home managed smart home providers and security providers they've been going deeper and deeper into security clearly if you're uh, if, if you're like a comcast they're 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 that's a first step forward if you're someone like vivant they've been kind of uh doing an integration of smart home and security security is is your move deeper into security in part due because you're seeing these managed home security providers um, providing these combined services where it's smart home and security? Is this a response to that market? I think we focus much more on how homeowners want to live than, you know, looking right. at our competition. Uh, we believe that consumers are becoming more and more connected. Every one of us has a personal device in our pocket. And, and we're, when we're sitting on the couch, we have one in our lap. Uh, we use those all the time to connect to media, we connect to our friends, we connect to information. Why not have it connect to your complete home? And we're the leaders in complete home automation and delivering the connected experience to homeowners and their families. And we feel that security is a very, very big piece of that. And if you look out into the future, if everybody has a connected personal device in their pocket or purse, and all of their friends and all of their closest neighbors have them, why can't the home directly communicate with the individual? Why does it have to go through a third-party service? And we see connected sensors becoming more and more available. The IoT space is expanding tremendously in the area of safety, security, and, and awareness sensors, and we want to harness that momentum. I think that's interesting because I see on the on the DIY side, I've seen this where you, there's a little bit of disintermediation of the, the, the security kind of call center provider. So I, in a way, with the advancement of smart home and the ability for the consumer to easily manage and see what's going on in their home, um, I, across the spectrum, what you're saying is, do you need the, the call center provider and them charging you monthly when you when largely the consumer can do it themselves? I, I think that, you know, outside the U.S., the vast majority of security systems are self-monitored. Not necessarily self-installed, but self-monitored. Right. And as connectivity increases, as ease of use and technology becomes more transparent, um, the value of going through a call center could be diminished. That doesn't mean that there won't be a subscription. Right, right. But it may be much more efficient. Yeah, I think there's a baseline of consumers who are always going to want a call center because I think it's a comfort level. And that's just going to be like a, a percentage of the customers who want that. And there will be the right. others who are ready to just kind of handle it themselves. But I, I don't think the consumer who wants a call center goes away. That's a certain type of customer. Um, right. I want to ask I think one, Go ahead. One of the things that we're focused on is how do we make the home protect itself 
so that the call center doesn't have to be called. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you can do that with a connected and automated home. There's lots of capability in the home, lights, shades, sprinkler systems, media playing out back on the patio that helps create a sense of presence, which shuns away people that are looking to do harm to someone's home. I want to ask you about smart walks. I think you guys had some news around that um, with regards to to your app. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, it's just it's basically an enhancement to our mobile apps that now smart locks are integrated as first class citizens. Um, and not via an extension mechanism. It seems like, a, well, first of all, do you have to work with each Smarlock maker in terms of like it's an integration at an API level, or does it you just work with any with any Smarlock? Well, I mean, the way our system works is for the major device categories, we create an abstraction layer that's called the, the proxy, the software proxy, Yep. and that defines the user interface, it defines the functionality that flows to and from those devices, and we create that abstraction layer by looking at a series of devices and looking at where we think devices will go in in one or two or three years. We build that into the proxy, and then we interface with each individual vendor. Uh, We usually start with the, the top brands and control for as a strategy by which we write the drivers for the top two or three in every category, and then we open our APIs to the ecosystem and let our partners, be it the device manufacturer or a dealer or a third party, write the drivers for the rest of the, of, of the marketplace. We support now 9,500 devices across scores of categories of devices. Uh, we've only written several hundred of those in the ecosystem and our open APIs uh, facilitate the rest. I want to talk to you about uh, what we're going to see this year at Cedia. Um, I mean, maybe some of the macro trends this year versus last year, if we can delineate that. I mean, I think that last year, I remember talking to you guys, I think one of the big focuses for Control 4 last year was creating tool sets for to make it easier for uh, the integrators and maybe kind of op- opening up to maybe a new class of I don't want to call it junior integrator, but folks basically onboarding folks to make it easier for people in the, uh, the integration side to program a control for home versus having to rely on maybe one or two people within uh, an in- integration company, installer company. So can you talk to that? Um, I mean, so I, I saw that as a big focus last year. I, I mean, I see what you're doing now. This year with security is interesting. Is there any sort of macro trends you're seeing? Or are also, we also seeing some of the same trends from last year can push forward into this year? Well, I think that the whole area of being able to onboard more technicians, getting more people capable of delivering connected home experiences is is a big challenge and opportunity for the industry. We're certainly uh, continuing our investment in those areas, and I think you'll see other vendors continue that. Um, You know, you're... You're seeing many companies that had origins in the do-it-yourself space that are now recruiting uh, professional install channels. They're also building tools to train people to install their products. So the industry is going to continue to expand with professional installers and trying to build those businesses is a big responsibility of all of us. Um, I think you're going to see a lot in the evolution of video uh, there'll be big pushes on 4K video. There'll be big pushes on uh, video over IP. High-fidelity audio um, has been talked about and now coming mainstream. The services are there. The digital music is there. Now the products and the integration and the experiences will come. And then, you know, every device with a battery or a power cord is going to become network aware, and it'll be either an IP Ethernet network, or it'll be a Wi-Fi network, or it'll be Zigbee, Z-Wave, or a derivative of that, like, you know, what Google's doing. I want to ask you about that, if you, if you don't mind, because we, we were talking in the pre-show. Um, I think you had a good explanation, I, I think, of what you saw with regards to Google. Uh, Nest Weave came out last week. Google Weave was announced six months ago, and you kind of saw that as, like, really Google's answer to what they're maybe some of their customers and developers are saying is that 
you can't have everything pushed through the cloud. Can you, can you explain that? Well, I think there are, you know, the cloud is, is a very, very powerful and and living uh, living technical force that enables rapid innovation and, and rapid in iteration. And, you know, we certainly use that technique for lots of our services also. But there are cases where the home has to operate in a very predictable way without having, you know, 24 by 7, 365 continuity uh, to the cloud. And, you know, we've, as I understand it from, from Nest, is a local interface to uh, make available the functionality that they've made available through their cloud without with, by directly talking to a Nest product, whether that's the Nest thermostat or a Nest uh, CO2 and smoke detector or camera. And that way the connected home can operate through the cloud and get the benefits from the cloud and the added services or connect directly within the home for the essential services that are needed when connectivity isn't there. Hey, Martin, I really appreciate you spending time. Uh, you guys sound like you have, uh, a big, you. Uh, you have a big CDL lined up, and so good luck next week. And uh, we appreciate – actually, when people hear, hear this, by the way, it'll be good luck right now. <laughs> but uh, we'll uh, yeah, have a good well, show, and we'll talk please. to you soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Well, that's it for the two-part Smart Home Show for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm off to finish up all my things I need to do for this coming Thursday. Again, as you've heard me say multiple times, if you want to watch it, just go to smartkitchensummit.com backslash video. There will be a live stream on Thursday, as well as we will have the panel sessions individually. If you want to check out that as well. I forgot to mention earlier that we will have Stacey Higginbotham. If you're a fan of the IoT podcast, Internet Things podcast, she's moderating two of the panels. So it'll be a smart home and IoT extravaganza. If you're a podcast fan, you can actually see these people that you hear. You can actually see us talk on video, see us what we look like on stage. And uh, I hope you enjoy that. All right, folks, that's it. Hopefully we'll talk to you in about a week.